0: Welcome to politics done right from the studios of kpft 90.1 fm houston your community radio station we have a great program for you today jen saki school fox news peter do on the ills of the florida don't say gay bill why does a supposedly more efficient corporate sector need the government to bail them out of their supply chain failures Diris kamali an identity on identity politics the war in ukraine and much more folks we are going to get busy. Well, I'm in a bit more casual abodes right now. But anyhow, uh, I want you to see exactly how uh, Jen Zaki took Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless: How to get thirty? Thirty. How to get thirty? How to get twenty? Twenty. Twenty. to get twenty? Twenty. How get fifteen? Fifteen. 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 Just fifteen bucks a month. So, give it a try at
1: mintmobile.com/slash
0: switch.
2: Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com
0: of Ducey, she wasn't really uh trying to make a big point but in the process i think she did she really made him look rather silly as he tried to bring up the just say gay bill and ask how early can we start teaching about gender identity i have a, a message for him however but let's go ahead and listen to jen and then we'll take it on the other side
2: And then one about this new law in Florida, at what age does the White House think that students should be taught about sexual orientation and gender identity?
3: Well, I would say, uh, first of all, Peter, um, we have spoken to uh, the Don't Say Gay Bill in the past, I believe is what you're referring to, and made clear that uh, as we look at this uh, this uh, this law, uh, what we think it's a reflection of is politicians in Florida propagating misinformed, hateful policies that do n- absolutely nothing to address uh, the real issues. Uh, the Department of Education is well positioned and ready to evaluate um, what to do. Next, and uh, when and its implementation, whether the, its implementation violates federal civil rights law. Uh, but I would note that parents across the country uh, are looking to, um, you know, uh, national, state, and district leaders to uh, support our nation's students to ensure that uh, kids are treated equally in schools. And that is certainly not, this is not a reflection of that. And,
2: and so, just the last one if, so, if you guys oppose this law that Bans classroom instruction about, about sexual orientation and gender identity in K through three. Does White House support that kind of classroom instruction before kindergarten?
3: Do you have examples of schools in uh, Florida that are teaching kindergartners about sex education? I'm just
0: asking, asking for the president. Well, I think
3: that's a r- I think that's a relevant question because I think this is a politically charged, uh, harsh law that is putting parents and LGBTQ plus kids in a very difficult, uh, heartbreaking uh, circumstance. And so I actually think that's a pretty relevant question. Go ahead. On the uh, Ukraine atrocities, uh, Jake referenced some of the images that all our news organizations have been gathering. Is the administration able to gather other and document other cases that you have assembled that we
0: I hope you, 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 you heard that. But in effect, what she's telling him is, hey, guy, uh, the reality is this is a painful issue, especially in a society where it have very little regard to people that. Or different many a times but you know what I have a, a special message somebody and this I learned I had to learn this on my own but you know it turns out that they don't have to learn about gender identity people that are uh, transgender or, or, or folks that, that have these part- what we some may call gender issues because you know what deep inside they know you know who needs to learn we do we do and when we start to realize that things will change not only in the issue of gender but on several other issues where there are differences all the conservative in the rooms they would want you to believe that you can't have government involved in stuff it's socialism We can't have government helping people. We can't have government helping people, giving them a hands up. Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. That is socialism, right? We we preach that. They want us to believe that. They want us to settle for less and less and less. But now that we have a supply chain problem, now that we have a trucking problem, guess who is solving the problem? And you won't hear industry saying much. You won't hear industry saying, "Oh, thank you government for doing it, for doing what we didn't do because we're too greedy." You won't see that. I want you to listen to Pete Buttigieg and the president. And then I have quite a bit to say afterwards, but this is important and please listen to it in the proper context. Let's get busy with this one.
1: And we just completed the 90-day sprint to get these actions off the ground, so I'm pleased to provide an update. In order to create debt-free pathways into the career for more people, including more women and drivers of color, we teamed up with the Department of Labor to grow the number of registered apprenticeships for high-quality paid on-the-job training. We're investigating truck leasing arrangements to make sure that they're above board. We're working on truck driver pay, including those hours when drivers don't get paid, even though they're very much on the job because they're waiting for somebody else. We're making it easier for veterans to join the trucking workforce, partnering with the Department of Defense. And of course, we are fixing roads and bridges across America. One trucker told me infrastructure is our workplace. And now we are enhancing that workplace thanks to unprecedented funding through the president's infrastructure law. And yes, that includes working with states to use that funding to build more safe truck parking because we know that that is such a central issue for truckers today. These actions are going to help us recruit more drivers and, just as importantly, retain them to help keep down shipping delays, rein in the price of goods at a time when we're fighting inflation with everything we've got, and of course, supporting these essential workers is just the right thing to do. I'm proud of all we got done in this 90 day sprint, Uh, but I promise you to the trucking community and I promise you, Mr. President, this is just the beginning.
4: Over the course of my presidency, the economy has now created 7.9 million jobs. More jobs in the first 14 months than any president ever, in large part because of all of you, not a joke. Unemployment's at 3.6% down from 6.4 when we took office. The fastest decline in unemployment start of any presidential term ever recorded. And after a long stretch, Americans are back to work. Americans are back to work. and economy has gone from being on the mend to being on the move. And the economy we're building, we're building a strong economy. One where hardworking Americans can live with dignity, support their families, build a better life and a better life for their children as well. All of you here today are people our economy should be built around because you all, you all are the people who literally make it run. I have nothing against investment bankers. They could all retire and nothing much would change. You all quit. Everything comes to a halt. Think about it. I'm I'm not joking. During the pandemic, a lot of Americans have been introduced to a term you all know well, and Pete used it, supply chains. A simple term, supply chain is a journey, the journey of a product to get to a customer's doorstep. That's what it is. And during the pandemic, those chains were interrupted. Factory closures around the world, not just the United States, around the world caused backups and delays because of COVID. At the same time, because of the strength and speed of our recovery, Americans had more money in their pockets than they had in a long time. During the pandemic, they wanted to spend that money not on restaurants or vacations, which are now coming back as well, but on hard goods. They wanted home improvements, televisions, automobiles, things that had to be transported. The very products that slowed down by disruption of the supply chain. Demand was high. Supply was interrupted, and the recipe for higher prices and long delays. That's exactly what we saw not only here, but all around the world. So we knew we needed every tool at our disposal to address the problem. And the best way to do it was to invest in people who make the supply chain run. At Evernorth Health Services,
0: we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible.
4: about 70% of all the goods in this country, 70%. And truck drivers are facing real challenges. The average driver waits four and a half hours for their truck to be loaded and unloaded during an 11 hour shift and 40% of their day. And often they don't get paid for that wait time. Back in 1978, the average truck driver's pay was thirty-four dollars was thirty-four dollars an hour in today's dollars. Last year it was twenty-five dollars an hour, nearly a thirty percent decline. In this iconic American industry, it's getting harder and harder to raise a family with dignity and pride that you deserve. And it's no surprise so many drivers left their jobs. The workforce is getting older. But look, it's getting harder and harder to recruit new drivers, particularly women and people of color, to an industry that this nation and our economy desperately needs at full strength. The good news is that since I took office, we've begun to turn things around. In fact, in 2021 was the best year for trucking employment since 1994. There are now 35,000 more trucking jobs than there were before the pandemic. But we all know we need to move faster, getting more people working in this industry and jobs they can rely on and raise a family on. That's why last December, we brought together industry and labor to tackle the problem facing drivers. And we listened. And when we heard that there were long wait times in many states for people to get their commercial driver's license or CDLs, we took action. We provided technical assistance as well as fifty seven million dollars and federal funds to help states issue these CDLs faster. And I'm proud to report, because of Pete and others, so far in 2022, we're issuing CDLs at double the rate of last year, 120,000 in January and February alone. We also know that the key ingredient to getting and keeping more drivers was increasing training programs like the registered apprenticeships approved by the Department of Labor. Programs allow aspiring drivers to learn while earn while they learn, while making this essential job more attractive for potential drivers, regardless of age, background and gender. The program has proven to be improved safety and better working conditions and better pay and benefits. Typically, it takes about eight months to create a registered apprenticeship program. But because of Pete and others in the Department of Labor, we're able to cut the red tape. And now it takes as little as two days. In the last 90 days, 100 major employers have launched new registered apprenticeship programs. UPS, Domino's, Pepsi's, Albertsons, and more. Along with the trade associations like the American Trucking Association, the National Minority Trucking Association, the Food Industry Association, and others. What that all adds up to is a strong foundation for the work ahead, a pipeline of hardworking men and women from all backgrounds, highly trained and highly motivated to get behind the wheel, including a whole lot of veterans. Thanks to the Veterans Trucking Initiative, known as Task Force Movement, by Patrick Murphy, led by Patrick Murphy. But look, the, the labor and labor and transportation departments are working closely with industry to tackle issues facing women in trucking, recruit and retrain more women drivers, so we can draw more Americans to work with increased wages, reduced wait times, and improved safety, and so much more, folks. There's a heck of a lot more we have to do. A lot more we have to do. Secretary Buttigieg has laid out some of the steps we're taking to make these jobs more attractive for more Americans. And it's all centered around listening to you, the drivers. Look, you've got to keep it. We've got to keep it going. We're building a better economy around American manufacturing and American supply chains. And thanks to the infrastructure law, and it wasn't my law, it was a bipartisan, one of the few great bipartisan things we've done this year. We're making the largest investment in American roads and bridges since literally the creation of an interstate highway system. And that means a bright future for American trucking. This, this country will be counting on you more than it ever has. So we should be able to, you should be able to count on us to keep investing in you and your families.
0: Here's my take on this, first of all. Kudos to the administration. They are go- they are providing welfare to the private sector. Really, Egberto? Why are you saying that? I want to show you how greedy the private sector is as they want to blame government for everything. Is government working smoothly as it should? No, but you know, when, when, when you're always, when all you have on your mind is, I don't want to pay taxes and government has to live within the domain of not spending the money necessary to invest in things. That's what you get. But here is the most obscene thing. I don't see how Biden goes on national TV and talks the way he does about we are doing these great things for the supply chain, which he is, but shouldn't have to. Let's, let's be clear here. I want you to, let's, let's break down what just happened, what, they, what Pete Buttigieg said, and what the president has said as well. This is important. One, the most important part, the most important thing you need to know right now. Truck drivers in today's dollars were making 30-something dollars, about 34, 35 bucks, 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. And today, they are making... 25 bucks what that means is that the productivity that you saw on wall street when they said transportation productivity in transportation that was on the backs of the drivers the drivers were taking home less money they just took the money from the drivers the corporations that is that's number one number two they have a supply chain problem because you don't have enough drivers because you don't pay them enough and because of your, you, you sillily over more, oh, uh, you offshored all your production, you created just in time inventory, which means if there's a lag in, in getting your transportation from, wherever you're getting transport from, including overseas, wherever you get transport from, if there's a delay, because you have just-in-time inventory, you get shortages. If you get shortages, people are willing to pay more to make sure they get it and the other person doesn't get it. That's called inflation. Inflation generated by the failure of the corporatocracy, not not generated by we the people who are doing our jobs, right? So here we go. We have, where now... The president and Pete B- and his administration are now going to subsidize veterans, women, people of color, all these people that have not generally had the resources to go ahead and get CDLs, et cetera, training, et cetera. The government's going to subsidize them. Wait a minute, who is that? Who's who are they subsidizing them for? The people who are getting the job? No, they are actually subsidizing the private sector because the private sector now says, I get a discount on training. It's the same thing with college education. It used to be you pay your taxes so that you can go to college at a low cost. Corporation paid a lot of taxes, everybody paid taxes, people went to college, got educated on the cheap, and then they were brought back into the system to the corporations, and you don't feel bad that you sub, that, the- that you educated the people who did work for the corporation and made profit for people. That's fine. But now the corporations don't want to educate you. They don't want to pay taxes for public universities. They want you to get a loan from another corporation. So you are going to pay your education. You're going to pay the interest rates for the loans you take for your education so you're enriching at corporations for taking the education that you need to get a job where you are not where he didn't pay taxes for your education so you you got to his front door educated meaning that's a cost he doesn't have and then he just take it all to the bank people the biggest problem here i see is people don't itemize and go through one at a time how these systems really put the onus on the average American system, uh, on the average American person every single time. The corporations always comes out ahead. We created a supply chain problem. We come out ahead by having ra- raising interest rates. We, we paid uh, uh, truckers, less we still come out ahead because you know what? The government gonna step in to make sure that we drop inflation because now we're gonna have more tra- more truckers and the supply chain chain is gonna get better. Folks, they want you- the reason they keep you uneducated. The reason you see Republicans and neoliberal Democrats all the time—they don't want to invest in getting you too smart because if you understood how the system works, how you always paid the bill, I always tell my personal story. We just had a woman who talks about story and it went like this. In the days when I had my company, the software company, I created a piece of software that could do something that nobody else in the country was doing. It was called dropping the RTS sig- signal within a few milliseconds for an 80-59 uh, chip that couldn't do it, okay? It's a serial chip. And that, I was able to sell a whole ton of that software. Boeing used it in its test equipment. And when Boeing said, I want a, I don't remember it was an unlimited uh, license or a a 10,000 copy license. I don't remember what it was. I said, okay. And I charged him a whole bunch for it. And you know how I am. I feel guilty for it. Anytime I feel like a capitalist, I start to feel guilty, right? And I'm like, God, you know. Then then, Then to justify myself, I said, ah, but that's a big corporation and they can handle that, right? And then I started to think and I said, my God, it's never the corporations who handle it. It's never the corporations who pay. It is always the person without pricing and power. And that's the person at the bottom of the totem pole. The person who buys the airline ticket paid for that overpriced product. It's the person that doesn't have a say in that they're going to pay five dollars a gallon for gasoline, even though it's not their fault. And still, we have people who want to defend the corporations who has the price and power and the choice not to take your money away. The choice to still make a profit for shareholders, to still make a bonus but because they have price and power and you have nothing. You are an indentured servant. You are a antiseptic slave because you have no say. They can do as they please. And then whenever you, whenever you ask them, why are you doing that? It's government's fault. They buy government, elect neoliberals, they, 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 they screw up the, the supply chain, they underpay. Remember, there's a guy who had an ice cream place. He was paying $7.25 an hour. Then he, he jumped it up to 8 bucks an hour. He couldn't get anybody to work during the pandemic. He went to $15 an hour. He couldn't handle the, the applications. We don't have a labor shortage. We have a shortage of corporations paying people what they're worth. And for all of you who are out there singing the song of the corporation... You are more a slave than anybody else because you have, bought, you have bought into the lie, the figment of the imagination that they put into your, they inculcated into your brain. Please, folks, share these products. Share these, 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 these videos. Let's, let's get people smarter. Let's let them understand what how this system really works. It has nothing for it. It is... The, the, the current layout, even Biden has a beautiful speech. Biden is going to fix the supply chain problem. He's going to get a lot of truckers on the road. And he has. He has made it a lot easier. He has invested in, in, in these bills to put more truckers on the road. But you know what? You paid for it. You paid for it as opposed to the corporation who raised your prices and got you Nothing. Other than taking your money and giving it to shareholders and executive bonuses, going on to Wall Street and said, look how much we made. And we even shipped less product and made more. We have oil. We have an overflow of oil. But you know what? We're not going to pump it. We're not going to turn on those spigots that are that are not running in, in Texas or in, in Arkansas or in Pennsylvania. We're going to leave them shut. You know why? We keep the product and we charge more. Folks, when you realize that you've been had, and I'm, I'm hoping people start to understand the things that I talk about. Are you ready for a KPFT special event? I hope you are, because guess what we're having? An evening with Amy Goodman of Democracy Now. Amy Goodman is an American journalist, columnist, and author, best known as the co-founder and host of that show we all love, Democracy Now. The War and Peace Report. She's a liberal progressive daily. It's a liberal progressive daily news program produced in New York City. It is a syndicated. It's in, it's syndicated on the radio and television in the United States and broadcast on the internet. So on Thursday, April fourteenth, twenty twenty-two. Between 7 and 8.30, she's going to have an evening with her. And participating will be Stephanie Wells, who is the Pacifica Executive Director, as well as Dr. Robert Franklin, who is our KPFT General Manager. So please sign up. Register on the Zoom ID 850 850- four zero one five one zero three six or just go to kpft.org to get more information and click on that link to register. Today we have the honor of speaking to Darius Kamali. Darius is a former analyst with the State Department-supported International Monitor Institute, the Visual Evidence Wing for several tribunals on war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. He transitioned to political documentary, then to television and feature animation producing in Hollywood as executive producer on a number of movies recently. The global pandemic provided the opportunity like it has done for so many people to change things around, and the catalyst for Kamali to return to his roots and his passion with two genre-bending timely, timely thought-provoking, critically acclaimed books, first one titled, Mistake of Identity, and the second one, Dog Whistling Dixie Past the Graveyard. First of all, welcome aboard Politics Done Right, Darius. How are you doing today?
2: Doing great. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Really recognize myself with that uh, intro there.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, hey, you, you, you're you're an important man with many with many many different. What should I say? Many different options. Okay, uh, many
2: different hats. How about that? Many yeah.
0: different hats. That's what. Yeah. You know, you know. Sometimes you're looking for that word that just doesn't come to you. A <laughs> word as simple as H A T S. Hats. There you go. All right, let's get busy. Why mistaken identity? Why dog whistling Dixie past the graveyard? One of them actually seems sort of poetic.
2: Uh, Interesting that you say that. Uh, You know, I don't know if people have defined both of these as uh, poetic, but I'm not sure if they're traditional poetry. They're not traditional anything. Uh, I would say uh, they're maybe uh, genre benders is the best way to describe them. Yeah. There you go. Without describing them there. And very broadly speaking, you, there is some poetry, especially in Dog Whistling, Dixie, past the Graveyard, which obviously is a term that's composed of three different uh, expressions there. That's uh, somewhat lyrical. But I would say they combined uh, combined several genres. One of them is uh, the, in the Eastern tradition, there's such a thing as a, a Zen koan, right? Mm-hmm. Which is meant to be a, a riddle and a, a brain breaker to take you to another level of understanding. Um, Then there's also the tradition that we had in the 19th century in the United States, which people have forgotten about the aphoristic tradition. Um, And of course uh, they're partly contemporary tweet, uh, you know, with uh, people's attention spans these days. uh, I think it's a, it's a good fit and uh, I didn't plan it that way. I was um, during the pandemic, just writing down some of my thoughts and, and putting them down um, on social media, but sometimes in hidden formats, only I would see them, mm-hmm. <laughs> just so that they're not lost. Well, it's your story, later,
0: it, was your story, it was your cloud.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and later I, I realized, you know, there's enough here to categorize and, and put out there uh, as, you know, books or they're small books. They're uh, light reading in the sense that, you know, you can come back to them and, and go through them very quickly. But uh, hopefully, uh, in terms of um, uh, content, uh, uh, a little heavier than that.
0: Well, I mean, it, uh, from what I've read of it, it's some of it. It's not heavy. I mean, it's you can write to, you can write heavy stuff in a form that makes it palatable to read. In other words, you want to put things in in some sort of a format that educates, illustrates, but at the same time, you want to read, and that's what I think. I think that is where you're trying to go, if you will.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. That's that's exactly it. And you know what? I didn't sit and and decide I'm going to devote this much time to writing these books. They were just ideas that came to me, uh, and obviously they're informed by my background, by my personal experience, uh, both my ethnic experience, my professional experience, both in Hollywood and before that in human rights, uh, NGO world, and so you know uh, it, it's a combination of um, my entire. Um, life's experience uh in, to some extent and to when you said timely it's interesting um yeah unfortunately it seems that they're timely right it seems like some it of these uh, timely be, yeah. issues uh have been with us forever and in a sense maybe at least the issues are timeless
0: mm-hmm. well let, let me let me uh first of all you, you talk about it, it a lot of this is drawn from your experience why don't you tell us a little bit about you before we get into, because I, I'm going to want to hit up the topic on identity and hit up the topic on uh, on uh, what, what's the word um, to take you out. What, what's it, what's a famous word that we're using today? I don't know what's wrong with my mind today. Uh, it Woke? in you. Cultures, what is that one there's so many? in you,
2: yeah. Yeah, the, uh, one word that I use, there's so many directions to come
0: at it. Go ahead. No, I'm saying before that, tell us a little bit yeah. about yourself.
2: Oh, sure, sure. Well, uh, you know, I've sort of had uh, three phases to my career, and it looks on the surface that they're unrelated, and in a sense, they are, except that I went through all of them. Uh, I, I originally started in uh, human rights, you could say. I worked as an analyst for some uh, something called the International Monitor Institute, which was an NGO, a non-governmental organization. However, um, it turned out that we started getting government money, uh, so that's a whole other story and i got to see as a green young man how it is that the government can actually step in and and control you uh, not by sending you to siberia necessarily but just waving some money all right and from that point onward it it uh, amazingly turned out that uh uh they had a say so in what we will, what we should concentrate on and what we shouldn't to put it that way mm-hmm. so i got to see that uh firsthand and Transitioned from there, I was an analyst for uh, War Crimes Tribunal, I should put it that way. The IMI was the visual evidence wing for some tribunals for the former Yugoslavia, for Rwanda, the ethnic cleansing and genocide that went on there, uh, and for Iraq. And that was my specialty, Iraq, the former Ba'athist regime and and Saddam Hussein. Uh, From there, I transitioned to documentaries. First, you know, more, um, you could say, political documentaries or human rights related child soldier, so on and so forth. And I discovered that as my role grew from originally just a researcher to then becoming, you know, segment producer, associate producer, a field producer, whatever these titles were, that the nature of the documentaries became more and more commercial. Right. And um, that's, you know, bound to happen here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And then I transitioned Entirely into the uh, something else, which is the world of animation with a film called Igor, the first uh, animated feature film that was made by an independent rather than by a studio back in 2008. We've done a couple of more since then for Netflix and Amazon Prime and really was tied up in that world and um, augmented reality as well. Up up until the pandemic, when I had some uh, time on my hands, suddenly there was forced on me like so many others. And that allowed me to really decide to go back to my roots, which is ideas. You know, I was a mm-hmm. philosophy major and a person uh, interested in, in the root of, of issues rather than just the surface uh, momentary Deeper. politics of it. Yeah. And so, you know, the pandemic gave me an opportunity. Um, in fact, uh, the, the story that I usually tell is that, you know, I, I discovered myself recently that the word radical uh, is an ancient, <laughs> do you know where I'm going with this? Yes. Yeah, is an is a ancient um, Latin and ultimately Greek word, which means the root. And so uh, in that sense, uh, I would describe these books as radical, the sense that they're trying to get to the root of the issue rather than just the surface momentary politics of the day and the particular mask or, or jargon.
0: Now, how do you describe identity? in in America?
2: Well, I would say it's, I don't know if it's, uh, I would describe it as any different in America as anywhere else. I think it's, I think it's deeply ingrained in us, including myself. You know, I don't exempt myself from any of this. Uh, I think it's a way for us, even perhaps at a biological level to differentiate, you know, maybe at a genetic level, but Once you associate with a certain group based on any characteristic you choose, then anyone that doesn't share that particular uh, characteristic is the out group. Right. And so my one of my fundamental sort of ideas here is that I'm fine with concentrating on the specifics, black versus white, you know, gay versus straight, whatever, nation versus nation, tribe versus tribe. And we can play that game. and, and, And I'm happy to play that game. But ultimately, unless we see that these are just all manifestations of a larger term called groupism, uh, I'm calling it groupism. And it's an inelegant term, but I haven't found a better term that encompasses all of these things. Then we're just playing um, a sort of uh, I say this in one of the books, I forget which one, uh, a sort of uh, musical chairs. If anyone remembers that game from childhood, then who is the one that's left out? That's right. Who's the one? That's right. And so. Uh, you know, uh, we can concentrate on is it the people with the blue mask that are going to be standing up when the music stops or the people with the red masks? But ultimately, wouldn't it be better if we just added a couple of more chairs uh, rather than uh, so a positive solution rather than a, a negative solution based on need? Uh, and that seems obvious when put that way. But unfortunately, I, I think it's not so obvious um, the way our, our brains and our psychology is constructed.
0: And why don't, why don't you think we put the other two chairs?
2: Well, you know, there's, there's times where you can't, right? there are, There's actual limits to goods and services and so on and so forth sometimes. but I, So, you know, I make a distinction between discriminations that are necessary, hypothetically, and I'm not saying which one, and, and those that are not. Uh, at the very very beginning of Mistake of Identity, I, I write something that that's proven to be very controversial because, you know, the the left doesn't. Let, like let me hear it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically, uh, and I'm paraphrasing it poorly here, but an idea that I had back in my college days that let's say a, a teacher, a professor, is has uh, five slots, ten slots, whatever the case may be, to take ten students on a field trip, and it's really ten. You, it can't be any more. And and you know if the teacher were to say I'm gonna you know draw straws or pick you know balls out of a a hat whatever the case may be people would be okay with that in a sense they would still be upset if they're left out but they wouldn't feel that they were left out particularly because of let's say race or yeah that's right yeah so they wouldn't say it's unfair but what is it that makes that process okay it's random and what is random but arbitrary. Well, what if I were to say, what if the teacher were to say, well, I'm going to take the the African-Americans in the group because there's 10 of them happens to be. Precisely because it doesn't matter. Precisely because their race is as should be ideally as irrelevant as a random draw. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody would be up in arms, of course. No, no, you're doing it because you're racist. And maybe he is doing it because he's racist, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be that he actually doesn't. Even you know, that,
0: that's a difficult one, right? Because you see um, what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, how do you interpret that? I mean, if, if you could be pure and saying that the, given that we want race to be relevant, just using that as a discriminating factor because you only have ten slots would be okay. But in today's society, that that sort of a analysis is, it's catered by history. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no question. Uh, no question,
2: because then you would have to show, first of all, was it a necessary discrimination or was the teacher just being, you know, <laughs> uh, did he actually have a bias there? Right. And that's and, and so but 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 that example is is simply to make the,
0: the case that ideally that's what it would be. Right. And, you know, I, I, at first, when you said it, it kind of. Uh, you know, I can't, it it held me aback, but I'm an engineer. So when I looked at it from a numerical point of view, it's like, okay, when they're doing it randomly, why? I mean, again, if we claim that we should all be race, race biased, that we could say, well, we'll take all the, you know, so I see your point. I I actually see your point.
2: I'm glad you said, uh, because to me, uh, I'm glad you said uh, you're an engineer and you see it numerically because that's actually the perspective that it's coming from. There's a theory in the moral philosophy and ethics of utilitarianism, and there's Mm -hmm. multiple variations of it, but it ultimately has to do with, you know, maximizing happiness for the largest number of people, assuming that all souls are equal, right? Mm -hmm. All else being equal. And so from that perspective, Again, if five people are left out, five people are left out. And right. if you are more upset by the fact that those five people happen to share an arbitrary characteristic, then I would say you're the groupist. Right. <laughs> but, right. So it's counterintuitive. I understand this. And it can be abused and it has been abused. But once we see that that may actually be, at least from a utilitarian perspective, the the, the ideal, then it uh, sheds a new light, right? Because the alternative is what? The alternative is is for one group um, again uh, to, to feel aggrieved. And it's not just one group. Everyone can come up with things that have happened to them and, and, and not incorrectly, these things have happened and are happening. I don't mean to minimize that one bit or say that it's not correct. The issue is what's the solution. What's the solution so that we don't end up in the same boat next year and the year after that, and the year after that. And I believe that, you know, mystics, whether it's in the Western tradition or the Eastern tradition, have always sort of seen this. This is not a new idea at all. But is it possible to apply this concept of a soul is a soul is a soul to our politics?
0: Uh,
2: Without it being used by the right to just keep people down?
0: Don't you think we could if, uh, if, if it weren't such an effective tool? Because my contention and if you, if you, i don't know how much of my show you've ever watched, but my contention is that uh there that our economic system and our et cetera needs to have uh, us at each other's throats in other words in in order to thrive because uh if you or if you actually stop looking at you and me as the enemy, we start looking at the economic sy- the design of the economic system as the real enemy because again. In what economic system can the few profit from the many and the many just accept it? I don't
2: disagree with that. In fact, I am completely, uh, you know, on your side. And if, if you put it that way, I think that groupism is used by the powerful to set people against each other mm-hmm. uh, and distract them from the fact that we're all essentially being robbed blind.
0: Right. Right.
2: Right. And, uh, you know, I I, and I my issue is that people who are ideologically and this is the in the American context now, specifically today, uh, hung up on party, on Democrat versus Republican. And I'm not saying there isn't differences between them. There are. But hung up to that to the extent. That it becomes another groupism where they can't see they can't judge a case, uh, an issue, case by case on its merits. They judge it more either uh, instinctively or consciously or unconsciously based on is that my group doing this or not. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we have time, if I could just jump into the Ukraine Russia thing for a moment. As an I, I
0: tell you what, hold yeah. that thought right there because sure. I want to bring you now that you talk about the Democrat Republican thing right now. I I. <laughs> I'm a Democrat because I caucus with the Democrats, but I'm a Bernie Sanders yeah. kind of guy because <laughs> that is where you can actually in our current today is where you can affect policy. Yeah. If I were in the 60s, I would probably be a Republican because that is where policy was effected to bring, let's say, civil rights, except for Johnson, who was a Democrat. It was a lot of Republicans that brought. Dr. That's Christmas right. They switched. System. Right. So, I mean. So what I'm saying is for me it's not about party for me it's about getting effective solutions and to do that right now it doesn't occur in when there's a particular party where it doesn't occur in and that's the only reason I would call myself a democrat i just wanted to put that yeah,
2: no i that. i i understand in fact I have uh, had the thoughts, and I'm not the only one. In the last several years, that the old notions of Democrat, Republican being left and right are really outdated in this completely, country. Completely,
0: because they're neoliberals and all that. You have absolutely. To all that picture. A neoliberal is a Democrat is no different than a, a, a neoliberal Republican. A
2: Republican, Absolutely, a Hillary Clinton, you know, type of Democrat to, to you know name names here, or neoliberal, or I, I, in fact, I think the neocons and neoliberals are are the same. They're,
0: they're all in, in the same. And they, they just have different bases that they have to support, right? That's and, right. And they—I always talk about them being the rails. In other words, the left rail and the right rail. They keep this. They—they they, they both move in the same direction, right? You have two rails. You have a left rail that's and a right. right rail. But guess what? They're yeah. moving in the same direction. Yeah, it's a good cop, bad cop. It's a shocking job. Yeah. Shock and jive. You yeah it's a, but anyway, I—you right. I, 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 wanted to bring in Ukraine. It seems like we're going to move this <laughs> this interview in a in more of a conversational type so go ahead and move it on because this is not in your book so let's have it sure yeah no no
2: i mean uh, it's it's unavoidable right now i have very conflicted views on this because obviously no question what's going on is horrific no no i mean doesn't really need to be said any kind of aggression war uh refugees people being killed uh, is is a horror show uh, the issue that i have with our media our western media as a whole and its coverage is that it seems so suddenly, suddenly aware of things that our own government is doing on a regular basis as policy. I mean, as we speak, uh, what's happening in Ukraine is happening in Yemen by the Saudis, backed by the United States. The United States is helping them with arms, money, intelligence, uh, backing uh, groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, in Yemen. And we've done the same thing in Iraq and in Afghanistan and Syria. I can name a 100 examples from the Monroe Doctrine onwards. Right. And it's so amazing that despite all of this, you know, having come out for years now in academia, that the media can so quickly, so quickly just become the lapdogs, in my opinion, of the Pentagon and White House and CIA. And uh, once again, again, this is not to diminish what's happening in Ukraine. That's real. But it's, it's just astonishing to me that there's no self-consciousness going on, you know, self-awareness that what the Russians are doing is very similar, unfortunately, to what the United States has done and does on a regular there basis is, as I policy. I am
0: impressed, may I say. Um, I'm <laughs> originally from Panama, Central America, 1989. You know. <laughs> Brother Bush, older Bush. Sent the military in, they're killed over ten thousand Panamanians. It's reported as four thousand some places, one thousand as others. It is no different than uh, how the Russians indiscriminately kill to get what they want. They wanted Manuel Antonio Noriega. They got Manuel Antonio Noriega at the expense of ten thousand Panamanians. So Absolutely. yes, they, all the superpowers do the same thing, and I'm glad that you you, you coined it exactly as I've done in several of my programs we must go ahead and state that russia is doing a horrendously evil thing but let's let's use that and put that in context to what happened in granada to what happened in panama to what happened in el uh, santo domingo to what happened and we can name come, you 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 actually went overseas we don't even have to go overseas we yeah, can stay no, I'm right, actually here in right here hemisphere.
2: yeah
0: yeah we can stay right you know there's
2: a uh, and a, 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 I don't know if he's an anthropologist by trade or a sociologist, but he's a famous writer by the name of Jared Diamond here at UCLA, uh, close to where I live. And uh, he wrote something that I agree, I agree with strongly some years back. Uh, he did a description of all the genocides and ethnic cleansings and, and that have happened just over the last hundred years. And he uh, pointed out that uh, in terms of the media coverage, when it's the out-group that's doing the aggression and the victim is the in-group, then the media of the in-group goes nuts, as they should. When it's the in-group committing the atrocities, it's minimized, it's uh, it's uh, ignored, it's even encouraged, unfortunately. Uh, and when it's two groups that you don't really care about, it's sort of neutral. The media barely pays any attention. Well, I mean,
0: I'm glad that you use I, I'm glad that you brought up the latter because there was somebody who asked. I don't remember what, what interview uh, when one of these right wingers were really attacking Biden for you know Biden's response. And the other guy said, how come we're just talking about this? this is happening all over the world right now you're all not actually it was an interview with uh, the redhead that i really like the way she answers questions because she's so good at it and that is uh, jen saki being interviewed at the white house uh, i don't know if you know who she is but she's a jen white Psaki, house yeah. spokesperson and they they asked her about uh, you know yemen and all of that and she came out and she honestly said it i don't think the people in yemen would think it's it's not relevant i don't think the people in ethiopia would think that it's not relevant that we are not going in there and fighting on their behalfs. Yeah. So absolutely. why should we go in and fight on the behalf of Ukraine? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's horrendous to see the kids that Russia is killing. It's horrendous to see the destruction that's going on. But I think I think you you hit the nail on the head.
2: Uh, I think that um, uh, in the book I say something along these lines. I think the moment you start to care about another person that you don't know, I add the term you don't know, because clearly, if, if it's a family member or a friend, we're going to be biased. And that's just natural. But all else being equal, if something the moment I care more about someone who I don't know in um, Botswana, more or less than someone I don't know in Milwaukee, that's already the beginning of the end. Uh, there's there's no coming out. You know, there's no solution to that game. And of course, we all do feel that way, whether we say it or not. If you put it that way, people realize, well, it's unfair. But at the same time, every country says America first or Russia first, whatever. the case. Why Russia first? Why America first? Uh, now, if it's because of an actual ideology, I'm all for that. I get it. I'm not one of these hippie dippies, as they say. You know, I don't think all ideologies are the same. I don't think cultures are the same. In fact, I'm all for cultures competing with each other and and showing that they may be better for the human condition than another culture but that gets conflated and confused with the arb- arbitrary characteristics that we did not choose so when someone says i'm a christian or a muslim how often is it that they've actually studied these things and come up with a rational decision as an adult i would respect that much more but almost always it's it happens to be where they were born it's an identity it's an it's an identity, um, and and not so much a a, a chosen uh, ideology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let me let me tell you, uh, Darius, we've we've gone through a whole lot. We've taken the conversation. Uh, let me first tell you, whenever you come to politics, done right, I always give the latitude to the to my guests to take the conversation wherever they want to take it but they must remember that we do uh, we are in a limited time space when we speak um, i think what everything that you've said been ingenious i think folks need to go ahead and pick up the your your book is sort of on a philosophical good type of reading type of a deal i think folks should go ahead and um, pick up both 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 of your books because it's worth a read and if you listen to if you listen to what you have to say I am so sure that people are going to enjoy this. So what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't?
2: Well, you've done a good job here. Uh you know, I would uh I I would end with um, a sort of a uh I guess in a, a a paradoxical analogy. Uh you know, in our language, in our syntax, in our grammar, we use the term we say that I have a body, right? We we don't Mm -hmm. say I am a body. Mm -hmm. And we also say I have a brain. Again, we don't use the possessive. uh, We use the possessive. I have a brain. We don't say I am a brain.
0: We don't say we are. We say we, it is ours. Have,
2: a possess. That's right. And even more strangely, we even say I have a mind. Mm -hmm. We don't say I am a mind. And now that's sort of weird, isn't it? Because what is the thing that has the mind if it's not the mind itself, mm-hmm. I would say whatever that thing is is identical in you and in me. Right? Our experiences, our bodies, our memories are different, but the thing that has that experiences these things, that ultimate subjectiveness, is identical. And that's actually, I'll hold up the book here. Um, the symbol on this book, uh, which means Atman in Hinduism. Um. In that sense, we're all one. And if we can spiritually realize that while we are playing these political games and these cultural games that you know, that I know, that you know, that ultimately we didn't choose this, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That might uh, do a little bit in in unraveling this tangled mess we have in our politics, uh, both domestically and internationally.
0: You know, um, let me first say before I close out, Darius, I think that was that was excellent. That is, I think if we can get people to think there, to think like that, realize that these are just, you know, color, identity and all of that. While I believe we have to play identity politics until identities are no, no longer matter, it will no longer matter if we adapt exactly how... Absolutely, uh, but by the
2: way, I... I agree with that point as well. I don't think you should unilaterally disarm.
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Darius Kamali, it's been my pleasure to have you on the show. The name of the two books, and I'm repeating them here because I, 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 I you know, I, I want I, I this is the kind of thought process. I want more Americans to have mistake of identity and dog whistling Dixie. Pass the Graveyard. It's been my honor to have you on Politics Done Right. Darius Kamali. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You can listen. And or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash Politics Done Right or on YouTube Live at politicsdonerightcom slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willis, at EGBERTOWILL. IES. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. All Central Time. Please get one of my several Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT only membership for $40, a Pacifica only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose politics done right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT